we, um, we started two weeks ago the core. I thought it was fitting moving into a new building and, and a lot of new people showing up to, to go back and, and rehash what we believe in, some core values that we have here at this church. And, and a lot of churches have core values and, and they're not all the same. And, and so we sat down probably 10 years ago or more and, and um, I said, what is, what is unique to us? What do we value here? And so we, it's a lucky charms and um, that's important. Although my doctor told me I couldn't eat any more of those. No, we value certain things and it's good it's good to sit down every now and then and rehash what you believe, isn't it? To look over what you value. It's good as a family to sit down and say, no, 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 we hold this in high esteem. We value this. And so, so two weeks ago, we talked about unity and how vision is the restraint that keeps us unified. That we can be different. We can think different. We can, we can have different gift sets and abilities and be wired different. But vision is the thing that keeps us tied together. If we can say unified even in the midst of differences. Amen? Last week we talked about, as you heard Chantel say, uh, generosity and how it's not just a number. That God has called us to be generous on all occasions and that he will, he will keep the supply coming if he can trust us with it. Amen? So today I want to talk to you about something that, uh, that I believe is super important in the church world, and it's excellence. It's excellence. And that's a, that's a word we use a lot today, but we might not see a lot of it. And so uh, I'll, I'll give you the definition of excellence. The definition of excellence. I don't think Adam Dunham's in the building, but we always look at him. Uh, it's kind of an inside joke. But we always, anybody? your spouse and say, you are excellent. You are excellent. All right, stand to your feet. We're going to read two scriptures. Are you going to help me this morning? I'm about to wake you up. Two scriptures that may on the surface not seem like they have anything to do with excellence, but I'm going to walk you through this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. It says his good, pleasing, and everybody say this word together, perfect will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, then we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. If you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. I love that phrase right there. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this word today. You gave it to us on purpose, Lord. We pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be attentive to receive what you have. Let us take advantage of this opportunity to become more like Christ today. It will give you all the honor and the glory forever because it's in your mighty name that we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. I thought about getting to bring a box up here, but I, I, I have a little, um, I'm going to take about three minutes to get on my soapbox. You okay with that? First service, love this. We'll see how much you love it. I, um, I have a bit of an issue with our culture today. A bit of an issue with our culture because we live in a, in a culture that celebrates less than excellence. Some of you have heard me rant about this before. Um, we live in a culture that claps for everything. Clap for everything. Because we're not so much concerned whether it was good, we're just concerned about people's feelings. Come on, you're going to help me out a little bit? We're concerned about how people feel, not whether they perform. So what happens is we start it when they're little kids. Hey. And we clap for them when they do terrible. We scream at the coach when he doesn't play our kid. I remember not playing and the coach saying, you're not good enough. So you're not going to play. When you get better, we'll put you in. But as of right now, we would lose with you. And my dad would say, well, son, you better get better. Because it looks like you're not playing. He never went to the coach and said, hey, you're not playing my kid. And he didn't clap either. He would say, you struck out again. What do you expect? We've, we've kind of progressed into this. We just want to make sure everybody feels good. And the problem with that is, if I feel good about what I've done that's less than excellent, I don't have an opportunity to improve on it. Why are we clapping all the time for everything? Why are we clapping when people don't accomplish the best they could accomplish? I find it strange that we, that our society, we don't even hear from the valedictorian anymore in the high school. I want to know who got the 5.0. I want to hear from that guy. I want to hear from that girl. I want to hear from that. I want to hear from the one who never got a B. They're smarter than everyone else. I don't want to hear from the prom king. I don't even care. I don't care who got elected president. They got elected. It doesn't mean they got straight A's. But we can't elevate one person because we could hurt the feelings of somebody else. Well, it's not fair they got straight A's. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, it is fair. I remember reading a book by Jack Welch, uh, the famous, infamous almost, um, CEO of GE that transformed GE into the company that you know it today. And he wrote a book called Winning. And he said they did something in their company called differentiation pay. 
He said, the rock stars just got paid more and we made sure everybody knew it because it was, a, it was an incentive for people who weren't performing to then step up and perform because they knew there was, they knew there was money to be had if they performed better. So Jack Welch never walked into a room and went, good job, you did your best. Still terrible. So we've, we've reduced excellence to, well, you did your best. Well, my question is, what if your best isn't enough? What if good enough isn't good enough? I, 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 remember, I remember coming home from school with C's and my parents going, that ain't good enough. I said, well, that's my best. And they said, no, it's not. And I thought, well, how do they know? But they knew. They knew. And so there was no clapping for a C. There was no clapping for a B, although I got a lot of them. They wanted the best I could possibly do. And they would look at me and say, we know you're smarter than that. I would say, you might be right. But I'm not that in the school. So they would push and push and push and push. And uh, Beth and I decided when we started having kids, we would just believe they were smart. That's a novel idea, isn't it? We would start out believing they were smart and we said high expectations. We're not going to tolerate low performance in anything. We're not going to tolerate low performance. Why would we tolerate less than what I believe you can accomplish? Come on, there's got to be somebody else out there believes that. But we live in a society where it's like, well, it was the best they could do. Maybe, but it wasn't good. So what do we do about that? I need to let you know that, um, that we serve a God. We were redeemed by a God who's never done anything less than excellent. Never done anything less than perfect. And you read in scripture all the way at the beginning in Genesis, it says God created all these things. Then he stepped back and went, man, that's good. That's good. Spoke light into existence. Everything we know he spoke into existence. And then he stepped back and said, man, that's good. Everything he did was perfect and excellent and he, and he created humankind. He created Adam and Eve and it was, it was amazing what he had done. And then he gave us, which still baffles me, he gave us the choice to be excellent or not. Isn't that remarkable? That God's grace and mercy, he gave us the choice to make the decision every morning when we wake up to be excellent or not, to be perfect or not. And he, and he gave that to Adam and Eve, and even Adam sinned. I'm trying to get the order right. So they, they sinned. They chose to be less than excellent. They chose to be less than what God had called them to. They made the decision to do what God had called them not to do. They chose to be less than excellent. And then God, in his excellence, in the moment, then looks at them and says, hey, I've already planned on an excellent way, on a perfect way to fix this. And all the way back in Genesis, he tells Eve, this, your seed, the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. And you see all the way back then that God's perfection, his grace and mercy, and the excellence that, that he wanted to pour out on us was set in motion. And then the perfect Jesus came to earth. In all of his perfection, he came to earth and he died on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for your and my sin. And then he resurrected perfectly. 
And not only did he resurrect, but when he ascended into heaven, the Bible says that God then sent his perfect spirit to dwell in us. So everything that God does is perfect. It's excellent. So why would we live up to less? There's nowhere in scripture where it says, hey, just give it a shot. Or, 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 or don't, don't do your best and God will be happy with it. No, there's scriptures, whatever you find, whatever your hands find to do, do it with everything that you have. Not, not as if you're working for some person, but like you're working for God. Everything that you do, put your best into it because at the end of the day, God put his best in everything that he did for us. So you say, well, what's Romans 12 and Ephesians 5 got to do with being excellent? Because I want to I try to guide you today in a path of excellence. Because sometimes we don't know what it looks like. But I, I believe Romans 12 and Romans 5, or Ephesians 5 kind of spell things out for us on a way to find excellence in our lives, a way, a way to approach it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, he says but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, the good, pleasing, and what was it again? Perfect will of God. The perfect will of God. Now, I, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit that if the will of God is perfect and I want excellence in my life, then maybe the path to find that excellence is to find out what the perfect will of God is for me. You see the correlation now? See the correlation. So, so now, and then you flip to Ephesians 5, and Paul is writing the Ephesians, the Ephesians, and he says, listen, he says, figure out what God wants, what God likes, and just do that. Because God's will is perfect. So if I can figure out what that is, then I, then I have better shot at being what? I have better shot at being excellent in my life. So... We're going to go through some declarative statements. I'm going to give you some things to say to yourself in the morning. I follow a pastor. He pastors, I think, probably the largest church in the country, Craig Rochelle. And, and he says he makes these declarative statements to himself every morning. And so I've come up with four of them. These aren't his. These are ones about excellence. So are you ready? You're going to say these things. We're going to say them out loud together. You wake up every morning, say these things. We're going to be excellent together. Are you ready? Here's number one. Here's number one. God did not save me with the expectation that I would be mediocre. Look at your neighbor and say that. God did not save me to be mediocre. Now look back at him and say, well, why don't you wake up on time then? If God saves you, why can't you hear that alarm clock? I want to tell you something. There's nothing I despise more than an alarm clock going off and somebody dead sitting beside it. I will yell through the house, shut the alarm off. I'm at the age where you just wake up in the morning looking at the alarm. Excellence. You're like, I was up before you. God did not save me the expectation that I would be mediocre. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that 
That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, good and pleasing, perfect will of God. So Paul is calling us, God did not call you to be mediocre. He called you to figure out what his perfect will is. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying, he's saying you, need to, you need to figure out the perfect path that God has out in front of you. You need to figure it out. Now, I'm going to tell you something revolutionary. It's unbelievable. I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's 2019, so we're going to have to go with this. The perfect will of God is in here, in this tablet. It's crazy. You can get them online. You can get them at Walmart. You can find the perfect will of God at Walmart. Amazon, Best Buy. They even make them in paperback still. It's crazy. You can buy the will of God in a paperback bound with leather and your name on it. Here's how I find out. The will of God for my life has already been written down. You should say that to yourself. Oh, the will of God for my life has already been written down. The will of God for my life has already been written down. That's another declarative statement. The will of God for my life has already been written down. So guess what? Paul is not telling you, go off on this cosmic search for the will of God and look into your alphabets and see what it spells out and, and then ask God and see, and see what that, no, he's saying, look into the word of God. It's already been written. I don't have to be confused about what God wants me to do. Watch this. It's just as easy. What's the word of God say? The word of God says that I should be generous on all occasions and that, and that my generosity on all occasions will provide an opportunity for God to then be generous to me and he will increase my storehouse of seeds so that I can then be generous on all, of case, all, of, all occasions. So Lord, I'm not going to pray about being generous anymore. I'm just going to do it. It's your perfect will. You just freed up yourself to pray for somebody that needs it because you don't need it. Because he's already said do this. It's like if, one of my, if I tell my kids, hey, yeah, you can, you can go out with your friends. And they come back five minutes later, hey, you sure I can go out with my friends? Yeah. I already said it. And they come back five minutes later and they go, hey, can I go out with my friends? Yeah. Yeah. Five minutes later, can I go out with my friends? No. God doesn't do that. Lord, should I forgive them? I don't know, did you read it lately? Lord, Lord, should I, um, should I do good to that guy at work? I mean, you created him. You know what the deal is. <laughs> should I do good to him? Well, I, I already told you yes. Do good to those that persecute you. I already told you yes. So Paul says, find out what the pleasing, perfect will of God is. Now, I'm probably getting into some dangerous waters here, but, but I, I have a disagreement with some things. Some people will say there's a will of God, there's an acceptable will of God, there's, a, there's like different categories of the will of God. I didn't grow up in a house like that. My father figure said there's one will here. 
It's my way and it's perfect. Anybody else grow up in a house like that? There's no acceptable will of God, will of dad. That was the perfect will of dad and you were going to do that. It was the perfect will of dad and he had a 42 inch leather belt to back it up. You just fell short of the perfect will. I'm going to show you how to fall back in line with the perfect will of dad. And so, hey, son, I'm going to explain it to you a little bit, and then I'm going to show you how to correct that attitude. How are we on board with that? Sure, dad. The perfect will. Why would I want to be just in the acceptable will of God where he's not striking me with lightning? Hey, God, I just made it today. I know you're happy. I barely got in. No. We always, tend to, we always tend to lessen what God requires. That's why we argue about numbers instead of real generosity. What does he require? I don't know. I think, he'll, I, think I can get by with this. Now, what's the perfect will of God? If, if he had his way in my life, what would he want me to do right now? Are we asking ourselves those kind of questions? Because I can guarantee you if we're asking those type of questions, excellence will follow in our lives. You'll be better at things that other people aren't. Amen? Because here's the thing. God is perfect and his will for me is perfect. You have to believe that. He has a perfect path for your life. So Lord, here's my commitment to you. Here's my commitment to you. I believe you didn't create me to be mediocre. That's going to be a newsflash for some of you. He didn't create you just to make it. He didn't create you. He did not send the perfect sacrifice to the cross for you to just be okay. Well, I'm saved. I mean, I'm going to heaven. Barely. <laughs> As one escaping through the flames, Jude says. <laughs> like your coattails are on fire all the way up. You're like, I hope it goes out before I get there. <laughs> Why do we want to barely make it? Why do we want to accept the grace of God into our lives and then treat it haphazardly? I think Paul said something about this. He says, should we sin that grace may abound? And then he goes, oh, no, 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 no. No, don't, don't step all over the grace that God put in your life. Don't step all over the perfect sacrifice by just halfway doing things. You know, you know, sometimes I hate finding out that people are Christians because it disappoints me. Mm. Just late, 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 halfway doing things, halfway performing, halfway doing things. And then they say, oh, but God loves me and his grace is sufficient. That's not what that means. His grace is sufficient, yes, to get us through difficult times in our lives, but his grace is not designed to make up for you being lazy or me being lazy. I don't want to hurt your feelings because we're in a society where that's dangerous. So I have to believe at the core of who I am that God did not save me just to be okay. He did not save me to keep performing at the level I'm performing at now. Oh, wait a second. You didn't talk about it. That's a whole different conversation. Well, since you asked. So God did not save me with the expectation that I would be mediocre. The second thing, I will find excellence in the perfect will of God. We start talking about that. 
His perfect will will bring excellence into my life. Paul says, do not be conformed. In Ephesians, he says, don't be foolish. Just wake up every morning, look at your spouse, say, don't be a fool. Do something different. Over and over again in scripture, we're, we're, we're instructed to seek God first, to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, Matthew writes. Seek him first. Say, what did God, God, in your word, what would you have me do today? I'm not talking about praying about what socks you put on. But God, today, let me be more like you. We're, we're not called to be just okay. We're called to be holy as he is holy. So I can find excellence in the perfect will of God. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm putting off this worldly culture and I'm adopting, I'm renewing my mind with the word of God, then I can distinguish, I can determine what is perfect for my life. And then it will cause me to be excellent. Amen? You still with me? Watch this. The third declaration, are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say this. Excellence is not a destination, but a road trip. Uh, let me give you an illustration like this. How many of you in here had the first iPhone that ever came out? I think it came out in 2007. 12 years ago. You had the first iPhone? Do you still have it? No. Pastor Don, do you still have the first iPhone? Oh. Do you still have it? Brad, do you still have the first iPhone? It's got to be worth like 50 bucks now. <laughs> No, no, no. It actually probably is worth something. Does anybody remember when that thing came out? It was revolutionary. I remember being so jealous. I had a flip phone. <laughs> Started hanging around people. They had the iPhone. I thought, oh, that's excellent. You ever been around somebody that's better than you? You start making excuses. Yeah, that, that thing looks fragile. I'm going to stick with my razor. It's uh, tried and true. Yeah, you're going to break that. Yeah, that's not, that's not good. And then you realize they had apps on them. And you were like, oh, that's the gift of God. My razor can text and call. You've got apps. This is unbelievable. It was revolutionary to the cell phone market. It was like we had went from a bag phone to a spacecraft. It was unbelievable. It was like, who has ever seen anything like this? Now, is there anyone in the building that is currently using the first generation iPhone? Why not? It was amazing. The point is, is excellence not a destination. What are they up to now that iPhone 10? And guess what I believe? I, I'm not a harvest to serve about this, but I believe Apple's planning on coming out with another one. <laughs> and it might be better than the one before it. It's crazy, I know. They should have stopped at the first one. It was unbelievable. 
Anybody remember getting a desktop computer that had a spacious one gigabyte hard drive? Anybody remember that? You bought it going, this is the last one I'll ever need. We'll be dead before we fill that hard drive up a gig. Whoa. Jeez. I mean, how many pictures can a guy take? You remember that? We thought it was excellent. Remember AOL? I'm, I better keep going. I know people with AOL emails. That thing won't die. You can't kill it. They're still sending the disc out. No, they're not. Some of you remember that. You get two a week and you're just like, I have no idea what to do with these things. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not. Paul, Paul in Ephesians then says, don't do this, but do this. And these aren't single instance occasions. Excellence is not a destination point you get to and then you just put your shoulders back and go, look at me. That's pretty good. No, Paul, this is not do this and then this today. It's do this every day. He gives a little example in Ephesians 5. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's not once. That's constantly. You follow me here. In Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not once. That's constant. He, he's not saying, find out what pleases the Lord once. No, he's saying, that's a lifestyle. So I'm constantly looking into the word of God. I'm constantly praying. I'm constantly asking God, reveal yourself to me. I'm constantly seeking out his will for my life. I'm constantly looking into the living word of God, saying, God, your will for me today is perfect. I want to be excellent in all that I do. So it's a, it's a road trip, not a destination. It's a constant improvement. So how many of you are naturally good at something? We're in trouble. Everybody's like, nope. Come on. You're just naturally, you know what you're naturally good at. Raise your hand. You know, if you know what you're naturally good at. Yeah. There's certain things that I don't have to work at. If I want to be okay at it. Follow me here. There's certain things in your life that God has gifted you to do. The gift of God. He just put it in you. He wired you a certain way. He, 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 he shaped you a certain way. He gave you the right parents so you could be, so you could be that smart aleck, that good. Yeah. You're like, how'd you get that? How'd you, how'd you get that sarcastic? I'm just good at it. It's just natural, man. I don't even have to work at it. It just comes out. It bubbles out of me like the spirit of God. It's just You know what I believe? Not improving on that is taking advantage of the grace that God has given us. Did you ever meet somebody? I remember playing baseball and there was kids out there. You couldn't hit a ball past them. They were just, they never, they didn't have to try. They could just get on the baseball field and just, you think, man, that guy's good. But you know what I found out? The kid who was okay that would put a lot of work into it ended up being better than the other guy. Because sometimes we sit back on the grace that God has given us and we say, hey man, I'm good enough. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's good enough. 
No, God sent his only son, the perfect gift, everything. It was all he had. It wasn't halfway. Jesus didn't say, well, I mean, I, uh, you know, it's okay. No, I'm, I'm sacrificing everything. So when, we, when God gives us these abilities and then we don't build on them, we are taking advantage of his grace. We're just saying, God, you blessed me with this and I don't need to do anything with it. No, Paul says, keep looking, keep looking, keep seeking the will of the perfect will of God. And here's what I can tell you about the perfect will of God. It wants you to continually get better. Some of you are like, oh, man. You know what they say? I think it's 75, somewhere around there, 75% of people, after they get out of school, never read another book. I know some of you are getting offensive right now. Well, I mean, if you knew my schedule, if you knew my schedule, if you knew my kids, I can barely squeeze in a Netflix marathon every week. I can barely get it in, barely get it in. It's like 14 shows. I, I mean, I really have to work at it, really have to work at it. Last week, I got two in. It was a great week. Think about it. Think about it. That there's nothing that God does that's not perfect, and yet we constantly find reasons why not to be. We constantly find reasons why not to increase who we are. Why, why not to learn how to do better? Why not to pick up a book and read it? I found a long time ago, there's a lot of people who made mistakes, and if I can read the mistakes they make, I don't have to make them. Amen? It's actually irresponsible of me not to read. Wow. We're starting the book club next week. It's so awesome. <laughs> that was like a happy clap. Okay. Excellence is not something you arrive at. It's something you continually strive for. Now watch this. The band's going to come up. We're going to end. I need to tell you this really quick. So in Romans 12, Ephesians 5, he says, stop doing these things, start doing these things. Renew your mind, find, find the will of God, find the will, find what pleases the Lord. Do that, do that, do that. It leads to the perfect will of God. God's got a perfect plan for your life. He's got a perfect, perfect thing that he wants you to do. He's created you to accomplish things, Ephesians also tells us, that, that your God's workmanship created Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So if he prepared in advance for you to do those good work, then he's willing to give you everything that you need to be excellent in doing it. Now watch this. Also in Romans, Paul writes this little thing where he says, and God is able to work all things together for good. It's Romans 8.28. We quote it all the time. And we usually quote it in the context of something bad has happened and now it's going to turn out great. Like, like I went to the hospital but I won the lottery. <laughs> Woo! I saw how God turned that one around. That was amazing. Watch this. Have any of you ever been on a road trip? Raise your hand if you've been on a road trip. Right out of college, you're like, road trip! I'm not going to work! Who did you take on the road trip with you? It's people you like. Right? Like we took a couple road trips. We took our kids. And, um, and when they're really young, you're like, in the back, you're like, shh. 
shut up. I'm gonna love to lose my salvation if you don't be quiet. You're gonna stop crying for eight hours. I'm gonna pull this car over. You know, you never thought you'd say that, did you? You said it. I'm gonna pull this car over. I'm gonna pull this car over and get the guy pulled over to spank you. I don't even know him. You never take people you don't like on the road trip. Follow me on this. Watch. If you're going to become excellent, you have to take advantage of every opportunity to push yourself towards that. So that means the road trip is going to include people you don't like. It's going to include situations that you don't agree with. It's going to include difficult things and, and things that you never thought you could stand up against. It's going to include all of those things because God is not interested in taking you on a road trip where everything just feels good all the time. Because here's what I know about our society at the beginning. If we just clap all the time, nobody gets better. So why don't, what if we started inviting people on road trips with us that would critique us? Well, I'm just trying to have a good time in life. I don't need your negativity. You know what I started doing? Many of you don't know this. I think there's, I think there's eight people. I just went back and looked at them the other day. I think there's eight people. Hopefully some of them are in this building right now. And if they're not filling it out, they get shamed for it. I have a sermon um, survey that I pass out. It's automated. It just goes out to some people. And, uh, and, and they respond, they fill out this survey. And I go back and read them. I don't read them every week because that could hurt a guy's feelings. I read them every month or so. You know what the crazy thing is? It's not all excellent. It's not all, pos it's not, it's not all positive. I, I would say it's positive, but, but it, there's some criticism in there. Now, I could deal with that two ways. I could say, I'm the pastor of this church. When you're 20, they never, they've never preached. They don't know what it's like. They never, never had to do it every week. They never had mean people staring at them 40 minutes, not saying amen. They don't know what it feels like. They don't know what it feels like preaching three services in a row. Everybody, one of them, everybody's asleep. They have no idea. I can make all kinds of excuses. I could get defensive. But do you remember? I'm the one that sent the thing out. I'm the one that sent the thing out. So I want them to be honest. Hey, I, I thought your clothes looked terrible today. Just... I asked them, hey, did I dress okay today? I asked them, did the illustration make sense? Did... And so when they say, hey, it didn't make any sense, I go, you might be right about that. I need to work on it a little bit. I need to improve on what God has given me the ability to do. I need to get better. I need to get better. I need to get better. So I will invite criticism into my life in order to find the perfect will of God. Oh, that's a novel idea, isn't it? Because you know what the danger is? You think you've done your best and you hold it up to somebody and they go, I think you could do better. So what God does is he, without your permission, 
invites all these people on your road trip to excellence. He didn't even ask. He put Jimmy beside you in the office just to get on your nerves enough to know that you could be better at giving grace to people. That's why he stuck him there. And he said, he said, Jimmy's going to be a thorn in your side for the next 20 years until you get better.